0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to Believe and Listen Talk Radio from New York with Carla Blaha Evidential Medium Weekly conversations on all things spiritual and metaphysical discussions callers and readings cultivate your personal connection to spirit and the universe learn that the impossible is actually possible Hello and welcome to Believe and Listen With me, your host, Carla Blaha, Evidential Medium. This is the series I'm very excited for, From Disbelief to Belief. This is podcast one. So you're getting us on the introduction of the series I am creating, which was really right before me all the years I've been working and just came to me recently. It's a very worthy podcast. So to tell you a little bit about me is I am a evidential medium who works in the New York metropolitan area. You can find out more about me at CarlaBlaha.com, and I have various other podcasts with many more to come and interviews down the road. But I'm excited about this particular series. It's the first series I've thought of, and it was, again, it was right before me all along, and I had that. Epiphany moment that this needs to be put out there so people can listen. When you're driving but focus on the road, when you're sitting at home, when you're bored and or sad, grief-stricken, this is real stuff. This is what happens to real people that I see every day in my work as an evidential medium. So I'm clear with what evidential mediumship is. It is mediumship, which is connecting to the other side, With evidence, not generalities, not things like there's an old man behind you who loves you. That's not mediumship. There's nothing general about what I do. Gratefully, spirit, those have crossed, provide me with information I couldn't possibly know and or guess. And that's what I do every day of my life. And I couldn't be more happy and fulfilled that there isn't another job in the world I would like except this one maybe more of it, a variation in it, maybe, but nothing else. So you're getting me on podcast one of From Disbelief to Belief. Before I start, I want to just do a breathing exercise with you that I do with all of my sitters, whether they're private or in a group. This will help you. Just to ground and relax and to be a bit more receptive and comfortable in case you are right now in the process of grieving or going through a difficult time in life. This is a great exercise to do in your car, sitting at a table. You can choose to do it for 15 minutes or for two. That's up to you. But try this exercise, all right? So I'm going to ask you in a moment to inhale through your nose slowly. Then I'll say hold. Then I will say exhale. Exhale. And you exhale like a smoker, which is a pursed mouth, like a smoker. Okay, ready? Inhale, hold, exhale, inhale, hold. Exhale. The last one. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. This is an amazing breathing technique my Reiki master taught me when I was being entrained to Reiki. And I've used it ever since. It's, it will help you immediately to calm down. Plus, no one knows when you're doing it if you're angry talking to someone. So try it. I want to talk to you about, wow, this epiphany I had and how I had it because I get epiphanies just like you. And I still have growth and things I need to do in my life. What prompted me for this series are the male sitters I've been having. I speak from my experience only in this world and I can tell you that the large majority of my clients are women it's just I, mean, I think you probably find that with almost any medium you spoke to whether the medium was a male or a female they it's just a larger population so from my perspective the lesser population are the men and men and women are different I imagine all of you are rolling your eyes and chuckling right about now but besides all of the obvious reasons that we are different, we're different in the way we receive information and process it insofar as what our background is, our belief system, it's different. It's not just varied from person to person. It's varied from male to female. Every woman out there who's listening, the majority of you are going to say your husband rolls their eyes. When they say, when you tell them you've been to a medium, that's what the majority will say. I do have a few clients, and when I say a few, that's still a decent amount that say, No, my husband wanted to see you. He heard about you. It's still in the minority of clients I see. But since January, and this is 2019, it's March, since January, I have an unusually large amount of male clientele. It, it was the largest amount of men I've seen condensed in my career. All of them, with the exception of maybe one or two, their wives or girlfriends brought them or made the appointment for them. Now, as a medium, I have to say to myself, okay, so were they dragged or they're kicking and screaming? (laughs) Or are they thinking, why am I here? This is a waste of time and money. And I know I'm already going in a little... Um, with a difficult situation potentially. I mean, the whole the whole podcast is disbelief to belief, so you know where I'm going with this. But in general, I know I'm going to have an uphill battle sometimes. I really ask that people bring people to me that are open. It's hard to be open. It's a lot harder than you think, actually. But with this cropping of men that I had, I was astonished at how wonderfully... Open men that were not otherwise open were during and then after the readings. Many have followed up with me or in group events have come up, come up and spoken to me and shared with me amazing stories. And there was one particular story, which I will be sharing later, that really prompted the series. But it's the collective group of men that showed me how they'd been healed that made me want to start this series. So what causes disbelief? I mean, you shouldn't believe in anything necessarily in blind faith. I mean, argumentatively, some people say religion you should, but you would still have gone to a church or a mosque or a temple. You would have gone somewhere and had some experience before you decide what you believe. Nobody's asking anyone, and I never try to convince you to believe in what I do, ever, even in a group. I just ask you to sit there and be open. I don't try to twist an arm. I will not have the conversation, and I will not do that. But what is the basis of why we have this disbelief? Again, men, and this ultimately isn't going to be about men versus women. They're the ones that prompted this amazing series that I'm, I've got thought out <laughs> But it's really for everybody. What makes you believe? But before that, what makes you disbelieve? Where is your disbelief coming from? Let's get skepticism right out there on the table. I, you can quote me on this. Healthy skepticism is fine. In fact, I expect it and I, I encourage it. I have to laugh, I was working with a colleague this weekend teaching, and we both turned to our audience and said, you have no idea how high our bar is and how skeptical we are. There's a difference between being skeptical and shut down and mean. Skepticism is good. Join it with a bad attitude, negativity, and out to get someone. It's a disaster. So from a disbelief standpoint, a lot of fear goes into it of the unknown. We fear what we don't know or many people do. Maybe there's religious doctrine that makes you feel you shouldn't believe in this, which I find kind of interesting. Some of them I understand, but others I don't, because if you ruled out certain denominations of religions from my client base, I wouldn't be working. I I don't have a client base of agnostics and atheists. Very few. And every time I have one that says they're an atheist, I tell them they're not, they're an agnostic, or they wouldn't be there. And just so we know, an atheist has a belief in nothing in the afterlife, in nothing whatsoever. You're born, you die, that's it. An agnostic doesn't know what it is, but questions, maybe there's something, but I'm not sure. Can you imagine? That's not my clientele, especially the first one. So the people I see are religious by nature, excuse me, or spiritual by nature. But there is old religious doctrine, which I guess most doctrine in religion is old, that makes us believe it's a bad thing. For example, false prophet in the Bible. I'm not a false prophet. I'm not prophesizing anything. I'm just giving information and evidence. That's it. So I think we have a there's a misnomer there. I actually was doing a group, and in the group, there was a man uh, sitting there, funny, it's a man, and I was ending the group, and as I was turning away from the gentleman, I was bringing through his father. The father showed me a very large, oversized Bible and put it up against the man's chest. And I turned, I said, I normally don't offer something generic like a Bible, but this is a gigantic Bible. He puts, it covers you from shoulder to hip almost, and he wants me to let you know it's right with you. And a woman in the group said, he didn't. He's a priest. So thank goodness he didn't have the collar on. I might have been a little nervous, like (laughs) he might not have been receptive. But he was a former, uh, not a former priest. He was a priest at the time. He was there, and I I thanked him for sitting in on the group and believing. And he was a man of few words, but absolutely had a history of belief. So there is some need of belief to come to me to begin with, but within that, the disbelief starts. It's the the fear, it's the unknown, it's the religion. I also think it's vulnerability. What if you let your guard down that you're connecting to your dead loved one and your heart softens and then your left brain gets in the way and stops it? It's a psychological game that people play with themselves without knowing it, and I think they're afraid. I think it's vulnerability. They're afraid to think their loved one. They want them to be okay, but they're afraid that in some way, what if that's not really them? And then the, the wound is reopened again from the loss. It's a lot of stuff. Uh, and not to mention the cultural um, aspects of that is negative, that's the devil, that's satanic, that's something bad. I actually don't even know where that came from. How is connecting to a spirit in love and light, and when I say spirit, I mean dead person, connected to negativity in any way? I don't understand it, but somehow it gets passed down to some people. But at the core, I'm here to tell you, you want to believe. You want to believe. Do we want to believe this is it, or do we want to believe there's something better? I think we all want to believe there's something better. So, how does that transformation happen? How do you go from disbelief to belief? Well... From my experience, and it's every day I watch this, a couple of things. And I will be sharing the two main stories that prompted this. But this is for you and to pass on to your loved ones that maybe, who are here, that maybe don't believe or those that are thinking about a reading or thinking about this. Again, I'm here to prove nothing or to convince you of anything. I just do my job and I leave. It's the evidence, and that's where I'm going with this, that I provide from spirit, not from Carla. I do nothing. I don't remember even what I say. It's, it's a, you know, clearly anyway, I'll be doing a group and someone will say to their friend, she remembers nothing. Because I could be talking to your spirit person and five minutes later ask you if that person's dead. I have no memory of it. Evidence. I provide, in an evidential medium, will provide evidence that we couldn't possibly know. This is not older man heart attack connected to John. This is... I've got somebody here, midlife, they died rapidly, seems to me like an aneurysm, a stroke, a blood clot, I'm not sure, and he's connected to the name Jeffrey, either himself or close to him, and he wants you to know his finger, me to tell you, his fingernail was ripped off, so someone will say, wow, and they'll be astonished, because it's probably not their father, it could be a great uncle they forgot about, that's my uncle Jeffrey, And he had an aneurysm that traveled from his leg to his lung, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll match it all up. That's the kind of evidence I bring through. That's the kind of stuff that piques people's interest from disbelief to belief. Like, how'd they know that? Now, then what they're going to do, especially if it's a public forum, they're going to say they must have Googled me. I could do a whole show on the whole Googling thing. I I think you've got credibility to that, to think some people might Google you. But when I do an event, I don't know who's there. It's either the business that sets it up. Rarely do I set it up. I have no idea who's going to be there. And often first names are taken and that's it. So we can't Google you. And I provide things that's not, that's not in Google, not names, dates, and serial numbers that you can find on the web, stuff about your dead relatives that just isn't out there experiences that you couldn't know unless I was given it by some supernatural force. So this is not only evidence, but there's something called continuity of life. And I think that's one of the big things that tends to convince people. And sometimes that can be psychic. So from my standpoint, I have to be careful. But continuity of life is the spirit person telling me something about your life that's going on now that I couldn't know. You had a broken pipe within the past week. You had to buy a new tire in the two days. You're thinking of buying a new car, but just recently. Or you're thinking of moving just recently because you'll always hear, well, everybody's thinking about moving. Everybody's thinking about a car. No. Details of recent things. I recently read some uh, three women, four women together, And I said to the woman, um, your friend was a friend from high school I was bringing through. I said, he says that you smoked together. I didn't like that evidence because a lot of people smoked. and, And I would have put them in an age bracket where they would have been teens in their 80s. A lot of people smoked. I said, that's not the evidence. The evidence is he says, you still smoke and are lying about it. And they broke out laughing because driving up there, she had admitted she started smoking again and wasn't telling people. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of thing that perks interest in, wow, maybe this is real. What is this about? Like, how could you know that? One of my favorite pieces of continuity of life is something like that, something you just said on the way that I couldn't possibly know. What happens, unfortunately, they start to believe, right? And then the reneging on the belief happens. They renege on the whole thing. So they're all excited. They're crying, everything's great, and they leave, and the left brain sinks in. And they're like, well, maybe a lot of people do that. That could have fit anybody. And they start trying to match. It's psychology. They try to match. Their brain will automatically try to find stuff to match, to debunk the whole thing. And you can do that with generalities. You can. You can't do it when I say something like, so... Your mother says that you just had a third hole pierced in your ear, but then took the earring out so it would close up. Can't do that. That's not what people do. It's not a thing. (laughs) Not a big thing. This is the kind of thing that bring people over to belief. And when the third thing is when you feel it in your body, when you hit home to someone who's open, they start to cry in a good way. It's a healing cry. And then they automatically think, wow, there might be something to this. So it's it's really quite a few things that cause somebody to believe. You need the evidence. You need something tangible that happens in your life. And you need to give them something that, like a great uncle's weird nickname, something, again, you couldn't know. Because even the best believers are going to leave saying, well, maybe that part wasn't true and maybe this wasn't true. It's, it's fascinating how the human part of us likes to bring us down. I want to share two stories with you that, that prompted this whole series. And one, I will call him Mark. Um, I have to give this man a lot of credit. Um, his wife, I didn't know it was a wife at the time, booked the appointment for herself and someone else. I did not ask, and she knows, I did not ask his name, their relationship, nothing. Just she was bringing somebody else. In walked the two of them, and in walked this man that was large in stature and rather tough-looking. I mean, you can never judge a book by its cover, but you knew that this man was probably not a tax accountant. Um, He just had, if you put him in certain clothes, you'd be a little afraid of him. I mean, he was a tough man, um, looking, gentle in demeanor. But you think, well, okay, did she drag him here? You have to push that out of your mind. And I read the majority of the reading was about him, and he was very flat affect, which can be very helpful to me because emotion and face expression tends to throw a medium. Too flat effect and not responding is not good. He responded minimally. I would say, do you understand what I'm saying about this man, and I would give examples of what I was getting. He'd say yes, which is fine. That's all I need. Ultimately, after the reading was over, and you could see he would look at the woman, who I later learned was his wife, In complete astonishment, but his face was still poker face, but you knew he wasn't debunking me, and it was not affecting me, his face, in a way that I was being thrown off. But I liked it because you really couldn't tell from it, and that's the easiest way to read. So to fast forward, at the end of the reading... I kept seeing, his father came in again, I said, wait a minute, I see your father showing me a handshake, but it's not a front-to-front handshake, it's like the old 70s handshake where your um, thumbs are locked on the top, and he's showing me the side of the hand, though. He says, tell him I know about this. Now, earlier in that reading, I had said, your father said, you got a tattoo, which I don't like to offer as evidence, because a lot of people get tattoos for dead people, but I said, your father says he knows about the tattoo after his death and the one before. And he gave some detail. I don't remember what it was. Little did I know what I was tapping into. I just gave that evidence. It was okay. To me, a tattoo, I could take it or leave it. But he, apparently, I see why it spoke volumes to him. I said to him, your father keeps showing me the hand. You understand this. He looked at the wife. They looked somewhat amazed. And he said, yes. I said, why is he making a big deal about this? And he, I said, I'm sorry, it's just this hand gesture, but it's huge, and he wants you to know it's important. He is aware of the importance. Ultimately, we ended the reading. We were leaving. A person coming in after him was being read and actually said to him, did you just get read by her? How was it? And it was funny because I was standing right there. And he said, yes, and I'm leaving a believer, and I came in a non-believer. I I was really stunned at how verbose he was. He actually said, I have to go home and have some wine because I have to process this. He sent me a follow-up email, and I'm going to share that with you, not the email, but a a piece of it, um, because I think it's important, and he knows that I am. Um, He said, you helped me to move on and be happy finally. Anyways, thank you again for what you did. I had many doubts, and you seem to have proved everything I thought I knew was wrong. You did something for me that no therapist or medication or anything else that they wanted to throw at me could do, and I thank you. So I was completely touched by that. And then he sent me a photograph of his father's hand with his hand when the father was dying in exactly the same gesture, and then a second photo of the tattoo he had on his chest of that exact handshake. That was disbelief to belief. That was tangible. There was continuity of life, what goes on now. There was evidence, and a weight is lifted off this man, really, for the rest of his life. The second man, which was within a week of this, I was reading a larger group gallery in a public venue, and I went up to the wife, or I learned later was the wife, read her, and then turned to the man, another very tall man that you're assuming was dragged there, and I gave him information, some names and an uncle and an aunt, something about, I guess, his father. I don't really remember that part, but I stopped and I pointed, I said, you have a pacemaker or a stint in your heart right now, they say. I was like, wow, I quickly hope I'm right about that. He said I do. He was stunned. That was a continuity of life. And then I told him his aunt's name and a few other things. I don't remember. But he seemed happy. At the end of this group, he approached me. He was had to be about six foot three. He said, I have to tell you something. And now I don't know where this is going. He said, I'm a police officer for twenty two years and I don't believe anything. He said, I cannot believe what I witnessed. I now believe. My wife's friend does this, and I think, eh, maybe, maybe not. He said, she wants to go to these things. I think, whatever. He said, I felt the need to come to this today. I asked her to go. He said, very out of my character. I have a pacemaker, or whatever I had said, a stint, I'm not sure, X, Y, and Z. He validated and went on to things that I couldn't remember saying. He also told me how often police use psychics, and that, He didn't disbelieve, but he didn't really believe. But he says, now, because of you and our experience today, I believe. I should let you know that I don't take credit for this. I love the way that feels, and it's great for my career and for my emotional self, my spiritual self. But I have to be honest with you, none of this is Carla doing this. I somehow can raise my vibration to get this information, but this is handed to me as a gift. I'm not saying I'm gifted. I'm saying I've been given a present, and these are presents to me when I can do this for someone else. So he stood up there, and I say stood up because I was sitting down. He was very tall, and he told me story after story of things in his life that he now believed that he could believe now that are true after this one experience at this gallery with me. And what we walk away from with this is you don't need to see something to believe it. Though they all saw, in a way, talking to me, this experience, these are still non-tangible things which which were once tangible, which our left brain can rule out until it was kind of sealed with what spirit gave me, if that's clear. It's clear in my head. It probably did not sound as clear as I meant it, but you don't have to see it to believe it. But you can experience something and then you believe it. Keep in mind when you're leaving a reading that your human baggage doesn't get in the way because people are so quick to left brain their way out of a reading. I've seen people cry in a reading, be so touched, and then walk out because of their own stuff and be like, oh, well, then she could have said this for this or she could have said that for that. I love when people say, well, that's general. Well, maybe, except, is your grandmother's name Philomena? Did you break a tooth yesterday? Did Philomena die of a rare form of blood cancer? Yes, yes, yes. That's not general. One, maybe. Three things, four things, five things, no. Please don't let your left brain move you from belief to disbelief. The more you believe, the more... Spirit can get to you, the more flow that can come to you, the more amazing things. The lens in your glasses will become so much more clear, things will be brighter. You cannot imagine the gifts we start to receive when the non real becomes real. Your, bo- bo- ugh, your body vibrates at a higher frequency, and everything starts attracting to you, and you can get more messages because we don't die. End of story. I don't have all the answers. I have no idea at the end of the day what I haven't learned yet. I fully expect me to cross over and God is up there with a clipboard saying, oh, Carla, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> Sit down and then see. You need to go back to school because there's a lot more to learn. I know that, but what I do know is my own experiences. So please don't let disbelief block your belief. I'm going to leave you with that today and move on to more podcasts and stories. Remember to inhale, hold, and exhale. That will help you relax. You can find me again at carlablaha.com. I have a book on Amazon. Get your vibe back. Feel free to message me. I always wonder that. I know you hear that loud noise from Blog Talk. Um, please feel free to message me at believeandlisten at hotmail.com. Those are all words: believe and listen. With ideas for further podcasts or stories. I love to hear stories from people. I will be happy to do podcasts and include specific things that people are looking for. You can find me on Facebook, Carla Blaha, Evidential Medium. And do me a favor today when you get off of this podcast inhale, hold. Exhale. Thank you again. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe and Listen with Carla Blaha. You can find Carla at carlablaha.com. To increase your personal sixth sense, Carla's book, Get Our Vibe Back, is available on Amazon Kindle. Tune in next week for more things metaphysical